Good morning, everybody. How's everybody feeling today? Everybody doing all right? All right, good. So, how's everybody feeling? So, if you were growing up, a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, three thousand years ago. I mean, if you think about our Bible, uh, how old <laughs> does some of it go back? And scholars tell us it was put together in somewhere between the fifth and the seventh century BC. And before that, it was all what they would call an oral tradition. So I want to ask you this question. If, if you could transport yourself back and imagine being in that time period, how would you learn? And if your job was to instruct or to teach, how would you teach? Because when we think about learning, we think about teaching, we think about school, right? Going to school or whatever our school experience was. We send our children to school to learn, right? And almost everybody in this room was taught to learn through sort of a, uh, it kind of culminated in the 90s, I guess, with PowerPoints, right? You had your point, and you were going to make it with power. <laughs> and so we, we create these facts that we want you to learn and memorize. And when I was going to school, I know schools change, so I don't know what it's like today, but when I was going to school, you had to memorize facts, and then you were graded based on how well you memorized the information and could feed it back. Is, is that correct? But is that how they did it a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, four thousand years ago, whatever? Is that how they did it? Almost every ancient culture, every other culture in the world except for ours, which has influenced the world, right? They learned through stories. You told stories in order to inform, in order to form something internally, right? So your Bible, my Bible, uh, is a book of stories. But those stories are there for a purpose, and they're there for a purpose. They were put there by ancient people to serve the purpose of an ancient society so that you could read the story uh, and find yourself in the story and find information that would help you live life. Right? What they were not there to do was teach you a bunch of facts so that you could memorize them and spit them back out. So we translate in our scriptures and in our language, we translate the stories in the Bible, the, especially the first five books, we call that the law. But that's actually our word. The, the word in the Hebrew is Torah, and it means teaching. Now, if we're not careful, we'll put our frame around teaching and think that it's like what we got graded on. Even if we call it teaching, if we call it law, we think our law court system. If we call it teaching, we think our school system. And that's how we relate to the material. But if you were an ancient person, you learned how? By listening to stories. Amen. So what if instead of calling it the book of the law, the book of the, 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 the teaching, what if we called it the book of stories? And what if the stories were there? What if they were not there in order to teach us 
facts about how things went down. So in other words, whoever's writing the book of Genesis when they're writing it for the first time, or whoever composed it as a poem, actually, uh, how many of you can remember songs you learned as a child? Uh, and somebody could start singing it. You hadn't thought about that song in years, but you start singing it to yourself and immediately you, you could, or somebody starts singing it, sorry. Somebody starts singing it and immediately you can join right in with that song. Anybody? And, and we teach our kids that way. Uh, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, right? So when you put things to rhythm and rhyme, it does something that helps you store information, right? So in a culture that's transmitting stories orally, they were writing poems. They were putting rhythm and things together in order to teach the lesson that they were trying to get across. What they were not doing was a scientific exploration of how things came into being. So we want to argue for seven days of creation, but ancient people weren't even thinking that way. They were telling the story to their culture in order to inform them about God as the creator and about the universe. Give them a cosmology to begin to understand their place in the world. See, that's what Genesis is really doing. It's not there to tell us uh, in the beginning, you know, God created the heavens and the earth. It's not there to tell us scientifically what happened so that we can have certainty about our past. It's to inform our cosmology, our understanding of the world, so that we can understand who we are and how we fit into the world. And so when we're listening to the story of Adam and Eve, it doesn't matter who Adam, who Cain's wife was. I mean, there's people that, I can't accept anything in the Bible because where did Cain get his wife? And if Adam and Eve were the first, then he was marrying his sister, and that's just gross. <laughs> okay, I guess maybe it depends on who your sister is, but, but, <laughs> but anyway... <laughs> Are you tracking with me? And so the story, my point is, the story is not there to tell us about a historical man, Adam. The story is there to tell us about ourselves. And so we have to look at that story and say, what does that story tell us about ourselves? And so when you think about it, that it says that God formed the man from the dust of the earth, gave him his body from the dust of the earth, and then he did this incredible thing. He breathed into Adam the breath of life. And Adam became a living being right so here's what i think we're supposed to understand we all have this body that's been given to us by this earth it's this earth that supports it my body can't function if i'm not getting the oxygen from the atmosphere and i can't have energy to move around and navigate in this physical world if i'm not eating the vegetables and and Sorry, Julie, the animals. Sorry to all the vegans out there. I'm sure there's a ton of vegans in this room right now. But anyway, some are watching by Internet or whatever. But you, 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 you get the point, right? It gives you all this, this sustenance and this energy. And, and so you have this physical body, but this physical body belongs to this earth. But it's not who you are. There's something animating the physical body. There's, there's, there's a force. There's, a, there's something behind it. So when you're looking at me, you're not looking at me. You're looking at the me that came from the earth and really you're not looking at Aaron Tomlinson because Aaron Tomlinson is just a name that I was given to describe the being that I am so that it makes it easier for us to relate to each other but it's not who I am it's just 
something that describes me to allow me to function in this world. But the real me is this breath of life. The real me is this, this animating force that's behind this body, right? And so when you think about that, the, the reality is, is that, that all of us exist in this body, watch this, as a point of consciousness, as a, as a point of awareness, or we could say it this way, we all exist in this, in this dust as an experiencer, that, that God gave us this body of dust and then he puts into us this breath of life, this animating force, and then we become a being who now is a, is a reference point of consciousness in the earth. And so I was born August 30th, and I'm not going to tell you the year, because it's just a number. It doesn't describe who I am. And from that moment on, I travel through all these experiences in this physical world, and there's one constant. It's not my body, because I don't know what they say, your cells reproduce themselves every seven years. And I certainly don't have the same body I did a few years ago. Well, you know, 10 or 15. But anyway, who's keeping track? Right? But the one thing that's constant, my body's changed. My, I live in a different place than I used to live. I have, in many ways, different friends than I used to have. But the one thing that's been constant since August 30th of 19... It was 19... Something. Um, the, the one thing that's been constant is I've been the experiencer. I've been the, the point of consciousness. And even when I go to sleep at night, so when I'm, when I'm awake and I'm experiencing this world out here, even when I go to sleep at night, I experience a totally different world, don't I? I experience one that doesn't operate by the same rules, doesn't function by the same laws. Uh, I, can, I can do all kinds of crazy things in that world. And all kinds of crazy things usually happen to me in that world because I have crazy dreams. Right? But I'm still that point of consciousness. I'm still the experiencer. All right, so let me say it this way. How many of you have chatter that goes on inside your head, like even while I'm talking to you? How many of you have chatterboxes up there? Let me see your hand because I'm a big chatterbox up there. Okay, who's doing the talking? It's not a trick question. When, when, when it's going, that stuff's going on. Who's doing the talking? I'm not setting you up to, to shift you. You are, right? Yes, how many of you agree? When that, I'm doing the talking, right? Okay, so now here's the question. Who's doing the listening? So which one are you? Are you the talker or are you the listener? You're both, right? You're both. And so God put us in this body as a point of consciousness, and, and then, and then, uh, <clears throat> and then we interact with it. We have perceptions. We we perceive certain things, but then based on how we're moving through this body as this point of consciousness, we are projecting things. We're putting things out there, right? And so God, again, let's go back to Adam. And when you're hearing this story, think about you. 
God takes Adam and He puts him in this beautiful garden of pleasure. That's what the word Eden means. He, he puts him in a garden of pleasure, a paradise of happiness. And, the, and it says there's all these trees of the field and they're all pleasant to the eyes and they all taste really good. And He tells him, Adam, you can eat from every tree. Any tree you want to eat from, you can eat from. I'm not getting... Yeah, see, we focus on the accept. That's what the devil did. That's what the serpent did. How long did... See, we want to argue the time. How old is the earth? Okay, I'll give you your seven 24-hour days or whatever. You still can't tell me the earth was 6,000 years old. Because, first of all, you don't know how long the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep before God started speaking. And second of all, you don't know how long Adam and Eve were existing in the garden before they fell. You think Adam was created on Saturday and fell on Sunday. Or, I'm sorry, I'm not a Jewish. He was created on Friday and fell on Saturday. See, I can't, I can't keep it all straight. Oh, how terrible. I should know better than that, shouldn't I? I even went to Bible school. I grew up in Sunday school. I even got badges. You'd think I would know the Sabbath was on Saturday. See, we get hung up on all that dumb stuff, don't we? But we, we focus on the exception, but the reality was, how long were they there and they hadn't even thought about the tree that was the exception that they weren't supposed to eat from because they were so busy enjoying what was in front of them. And they were so busy enjoying their freedom. From all the trees of the garden you may freely eat, except one. And then the story goes on and says that God brought to Adam all of the animals. That's why I know he didn't fall on Saturday. Because there's a lot of classification going on. Yes. Just, just, go to, just go to some... I mean, if it's a literal story, right? So just go to the Denver... What is that thing that we went to? Not the zoo. No, 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 not that one. The aquarium. The Denver aquarium. Right? And look at all the marine life. He had to classify all that stuff. So I'm, you know, I'm making up my mind. I think I'm going to believe. I'm just going to do this. I think I'm going to choose to believe in a creation that happened in seven 24-hour days. And I'm going to choose to believe in an old earth because I think it took Adam a long time to do all that. I just made up my mind. I was going to believe that right now on the spot. Because you know what I did? I just interacted with my world. I just projected what I wanted to project Rather, based on my perceptions. So I'm both a perceiver and a projector. Right? But my point is, God didn't tell Adam what to name the animals. It says he brought them to Adam to see what Adam would call them. And whatever Adam called them, that's what they became. Wow, look at all that freedom of choice. Look at all that freedom of choice. And so what's that telling us? It's telling us that not only am I in this body of this earth with this life, and not only am I this animating energy that is existing in this point of consciousness that goes from the time of my beginning, and we believe as Christians into eternity, right? But not only that, but the key, I I was given a mind to think, I was given feelings my, my emotions were part, part of my experience, what, what feels good, what doesn't feel good, that's part of my experience. So even my emotions were given to me to perceive and 
project. My mind was given me to perceive and project. And while all this perceiving and projecting is going on, I'm forming a model of what I think about the world. I just did it when I said, I believe in seven 24-hour days. And I'm old earth. So now I've made everybody happy. I'm young earth and old earth. But I might change my mind next week. Because, see, I get to do that, don't I? I wonder if Adam said, you know, I'm going to call that thing uh, Garunga. And said, that animal over there is a Garunga. And then he sleeps on it and wakes up and says, no, I don't think so. He goes back to God. He said, I know I said that was a Garunga, but I think I'm going to call it a bear. And I wonder if God was okay with that. See, because I think the other part of the story is, is I have this opportunity to explore my world. I have this opportunity to have all these experiences, but the one governing factor in all of it, where this little point of consciousness moves around and what gets perceived and what gets projected is all based on this little thing we call the will. This little thing, my ability to make choices, my ability to decide for myself what I'm going to do. And so God sticks Adam in there and he says, okay, you decide what tree you're going to eat from. They're all good. You decide what the animals are going to be called. I'm not going to whisper in your ear. Some people have a really nasty relationship with God because they think that he has to tell them everything that they're going to do. Get up in the morning. What are you going to wear? Where are you going to go to work? What, who are you going to marry? I mean, all that stuff's dictated by God. And in the very beginning, we're being told our place in the universe is to explore and try and, and project and perceive. And we get to do all this based on choice. But there's one choice that leads to death. See, as long as you're out here making all these other choices, you can have life. But there's one choice that leads to, that leads to death. And that's if you eat at this little tree over here called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. But that's not what it says in the Hebrew. It doesn't say you're going to die. It doesn't say that life force is just going to immediately be sucked out of you. It says in dying, you will begin to die. And, and in, actually, in dying, you will die until you're dead. So a process of dying, a process of losing your life. So here's what he's telling us. When you eat at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you lose your life. And the moment you do that, you begin to lose your choices. Adam, you can't come in. No longer can you come in and freely choose what you want to do. In fact, life's going to be harder for you. Now you have to work the soil of the ground to make it produce for you. Ah, now you move from a place of just freely experiencing and freely choosing to a place where now you're in a world where force is being exerted. And that's the place where death starts happening to us. But remember, ancient people are not telling us this story because they want us to know historically what happened. They can't even think in terms of the, the question, is it young earth or old earth? Because they didn't even have a, they're not interacting. They're not perceiving and projecting that way. They're telling a story because they want you and I to understand something about the world that we've been brought into. And so here's the point. We are a point of consciousness that we are an energizing, animating force. We are a breath of life that comes from God. Every human being is a breath of life that comes from God. And we are a point of consciousness. We are an experiencer in this world. And, and God and life is the freedom to choose. 
So that in other words, you can look at your life and there is an infinite, every single one of you in this room, you have an infinite amount of possibilities for you to go and experience. You have an infinite amount of possibilities for you to go and enjoy. And, and the determining factor is whatever you choose. But if you internalize the knowledge of good and evil from somewhere outside yourself, you begin to lose choice. And when you begin to lose choices, you begin to die. Because what's the first thing that happened? They eat at the tree and actually they didn't lose choice right away. What changed was their perceptions. What changed was their experiences. And the first experience that changed was the experience that they had of themselves. They no longer measured up. They were ashamed. How did they know they didn't measure up? Because now they're looking at things through a lens of good and evil, and they're deciding that part of them is evil. And so actually, when they ate at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they internalized the knowledge of good and evil, and then they put themselves in the position of the judge. Of deciding what's good and evil. When God had actually already said everything was good. He didn't even say the tree of knowledge was evil. He said, if you eat from it, you'll die. So everything that was there was good. Everything that God created was very good. But the moment they internalized the knowledge of good and evil, they began to judge things as wrong and bad or good and right. But then they created this image outside themselves that they thought they had to live up to and when they couldn't live up to it they started to judge that and here's the problem remember when i asked you when you got all that chatter going on in your head who's doing the talking who's doing the talking you are but who's doing the listening you are so when you're doing the judge what judge what does a judge do a judge passes judgment for the purpose of punishment so if you're the judge who's The receiver of that. When Adam says, oh, i got to hide myself, he judged that God was upset with him. It never says God came roaring in wrath and anger in the garden to Adam, where art thou? No, it said he came walking in the cool of the day. It's like the, it's like a poem, remember, so you can remember it. It's like, it's like the storyteller goes out of his way to say, God just wants to come hang out. But Adam projects now, see? Because he's decided that he's not good enough and that God's mad. So when you internalize the knowledge of good and evil, you begin to judge based on that knowledge, and there is a judgment you make on yourself. And so there is a part of you that receives the judgment. And if there's a part of you that receives the judgment, there's part of you that must be punished for not living up. And now you have limited choices. Now you've entered the world of force because here's the thing. I have certain things I want to experience, right? And I get to freely choose all those things, but there's all y'all. And there's like seven and a half billion of us. And we're all after the same stuff. 
And so we start to believe if I'm going to get what I want, I'm going to take it from you. Doesn't mean I'm going to rob from you, but if you don't perform a certain way, then that makes me unhappy. And I'm the reference point. And then we make a theology that says God doesn't want us happy. He made a choice. But see, you don't do that in church. How do we know you don't do that in church? Because somebody told us. You don't do that in church. You don't, when, when the pastor's talking and you're the pastor's son, you don't get on mom's phone and open up a YouTube video for everybody to hear. That's just not how we do it. But see, he's got choices. He's got spontaneity. But we don't like that spontaneity. And we don't like that choice because that's not appropriate. That's disrespectful. This is the house of God. And after all, he's the pastor's kid. So the Bible says if a bishop can't keep his own house in subjection, then how can he rule the house of God? And I get my living ruling the house of God. Like, I get choices because I have money. And I'm the experiencer. And so if I want to go on vacation, I have a choice. If I have money. But that comes from your generosity. So I want something from you. And it's good. And if I can't rule my own house... I can't rule the house of God. And my son just embarrassed my wife and disrupted everything because you don't do that. I'm teasing, kiddo. I'm using you for an illustration. It's okay. So now we go home and I say, honey, you know, what's the deal? If we're going to have people coming, I mean, did you see how many people went and put money in the plate? I'm telling you a story, by the way. This is, this is a fictional account. And we've got, you are the pastor's wife. And we have got a certain image to maintain. Because, do you see it? Because it's the house of God. You have to have respect. And so she wants to try to get him to do right. So we can have, so that you can have what you want, so that we can get from you what we want. Do you see how this game is played? It's called domestication. We domesticate. I have to domesticate you. And then the worst people group, I'm sorry. Not really. I'm really not sorry. I'm sorry for you because, because really one of the most domesticated people group in the church is ladies. Because we want a good home. We, you're the housekeeper. You're the wife. You stay home. You submit. Which means you give your will over to me. So I can be happy. And so if you internalize that, if you internalize that knowledge, what happens when you don't, what happens when, when I want to go, when we want to go out to eat, but I want to go to Texas Roadhouse and Julie wants to go to 
Cracker Barrel. And depending on the level to which she's internalized it, we end up going to Texas Roadhouse, and she's sitting there saying, I really want a Cracker Barrel. And maybe she's having a bad day, and maybe she argues with me a little bit about Cracker Barrel, and then she remembers she has a little voice in her head that says, no, 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 no. A good wife submits. A godly wife submits. I was terrible. I was. Te- Some of you didn't go to that class in church, I guess. <laughs> Some of you missed that, missed that course. Maybe we'll do a series on marriage when you come we used to have a pastor that had all kinds of crazy marriage problems, and so we would, every year, maybe two or three times a year, we'd get a marriage seminar, and he'd stand up there and try to domesticate his wife. <laughs> Absolutely true. And all the women would walk out and say, what am I doing wrong? And finally, Julie's like, what am I doing wrong? I'll say, it's not you, it's Melanie. Don't worry about it. They had a rough week. He told me about it. They had a rough weekend Friday night. I knew it was coming. Jezebel. Jezebel. Anyway, sorry. Did I lose you? I'm trying to give you living examples of, you see how this works? Because here's what we end up doing. We learn. And, and you know what? We, we, you didn't choose your name, but you learned to respond when people called you that. You didn't choose your language, but you learned how to speak it. And so we learn all kinds of stuff that we agree to. See, you call me Aaron because that's still the agreement. I could go, I'm thinking about this, just to exercise my own personal freedom. I wonder if I could change my name, and if I don't like it, I could change it back. So, you know, I could become Fred Smith. I could go, no, really, I could do this. I could go down to the courthouse, I could change my name to Fred, and I could tell you all, you have to call me Fred now. And if you call me Aaron, I'm not responding. We did go to the Museum of Natural History. Here's another example. We went to the Museum of Natural History. And I'm off with Eli doing something, and Julie's off with Josiah, separate parts of the thing. And and because um, Eli's like, man, he's speed demon through that. Like, and so and, and Josiah is just pokey, you know. And so we left him at the fossil exhibit like 20 minutes ago. So like we're almost done with the museum. And they're still looking at fossils. And I get this text from Julie. Josiah just broke a fossil. And that would have been a really good time to choose. I don't know who Aaron is. This this phone says Aaron Tomlinson's phone. I I just decided my name is Fred Smith. I am going to quit responding to Aaron Tomlinson. (laughs) On your own, babe. Wrong number. Sorry, I found this phone. I don't know to whom it belongs. And surely you don't break a fossil at the museum if you're the pastor's kid. You see all these rules? So you see how our choices begin to be limited by the people around us who have domesticated us since the time this little point of consciousness came on this planet entered this body. And we can internalize it so well that when we no longer live up to it, we have our own judge to keep us in check. So we have, we have two dogs. When we first got these dogs, 
Oh, Jesus, help me. I remember one time we were visiting my in-laws, and Julie had the dogs over there, and big open prairie out there in Pueblo West, where they live, and there was a little break in the fence. And they got out, and I mean that black one, like just a streak of black lightning taking off across the prairie. And we want that dog because that dog makes us happy. That dog gives us comfort. That dog, whatever, I don't know. I don't know what that dog does for us. I still haven't figured it out. But <laughs> the rest of the family's all in, so I just I end up domesticated. <laughs> but when they're gone, I throw them outside. <laughs> Thought about leaving the gate open a few times because uh, here's the point. They take off, but I had to consider whether or not divorce was worth it. But anyway, because <laughs> I can't be a pastor if I'm divorced, especially assembly of God. Anyway, I'm totally off my message. <laughs> but see, so now we kind of have them trained. We kind of have them domesticated so they'll do what we want them to do. But here's the thing. If we could get them to leave the nest, it wouldn't be long. They'd shake off that training and that domestication. And they'd go out and be wild and free. But see, we do this thing when we internalize from outside of ourself the knowledge of good and evil. Then we create a judge who uses that knowledge against us. And when there's a judge, there's also a convict. And when there's a convict, there's... Punishment, so we create a victim, and that's all internalized. So even after, you know, I was raised, you're quiet in church, you're respectful, it is the house of God. And you know how I was, okay, not that thing specifically, but you know how we were domesticated primarily? Through punishment and reward, through pleasure. And pain. Which means that almost all of our emotional pain is the byproduct of our domestication. Which is why it's so hard for us to make new choices. Because in order to live free again, you have to sort through all the pain of your domestication in order to be free. And I don't want that. So what I will do is keep myself domesticated. So that when YouTube goes off while you're preaching, and it's your kid sitting in the front row, because after all, he should be listening, or he should be back with the kids. Because that's just how it is in my book of the law. Right? And I remember, oh yeah, sit quiet in church. Don't disrupt. Don't interrupt. We didn't have YouTube back then. We drew pictures on the bulletin and the offering envelope. And we only went for an hour. So that goes off and immediately there's an emotional charge inside me. And I start moving to keep things ordered and in check. Why? Because I've lost my choices. Because I've internalized the knowledge of good and evil. And I project now how things are supposed to be. 
And I'll project that onto other people and say, if they just do what they're supposed to do, if they just do what they should do, if they should just be the way I think they should be, then the world will work better. And religion, man, we, 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 miss, we miss so much. See, we can take a beautiful story about our place in the world, about the cosmology of the world and our place in it as, anim, as an animating force of energy that has an infinite amount of possibilities available to us and we have the power to say yes to what we want to say yes to and no to what we want to say no to. And we can change our mind. Did you know Jesus said don't make an oath? And you think that means, you know, some people think that means don't, you know, uh, say the Pledge of Allegiance. No, it's really true. There's whole groups out there that won't say, no, 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 really, it's really true. Oh, but don't judge them because in your book of the law, if you don't say the Pledge of Allegiance, you're really terrible. Who, who taught you that? Where'd you pick up that agreement? I know some really wonderful people that won't say the Pledge of Allegiance. And they're some of the most loving people on the planet. It's true. But see, if I box them in, corner them in with my judgments, I can't experience that beauty. I don't let that beauty into my world. Instead, I've created a hell for both me and them. Because now I'm angry because somebody didn't say the Pledge of Allegiance. What does that have to do with you? Really? How is that violating your personal freedoms? How did I get off on this? How is that violating your personal freedoms? You say you stand for freedom, but you're going to enslave somebody to make them do what you want to do in the name of protecting your freedom. How much sense does that make? Okay, I'll leave that alone. Jesus said, don't make an oath. He said, you heard it said of old. See, here's our problem. Jesus could be contemporary to his culture. He didn't keep contemporary people locked into models that no longer served or worked, even if it was written. Because it was the Father in him who was doing the work. So he could say, you heard it said long ago, if you make an oath, fulfill it. If you make a promise. Basically, in our vernacular, if you make a promise, keep it. But I say to you, don't make promises at all. Watch this. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. But he didn't say it had to be a yes for all eternity. That's an oath. That's a promise. He says anything more than this comes from the evil one. Why? Watch this. Watch this. The evil one. You think he's talking about Satan. In other words, Jesus is saying you have the personal freedom to let your yes be yes and your no be no. And maybe yesterday, last night, my yes was yes, I'll go to old Chicago. But just because I went to old Chicago last night for dinner doesn't mean I have to go to old Chicago tonight for dinner. I can say no to old Chicago and I could say yes to Baskin Robbins, but it's not open yet. (laughs) 
You get the point? Anything more than that (laughs) comes from the evil one. Think about that. So we're going to go on a journey the next few weeks. This is kind of an introduction to a new series that we're going to be doing. And there will be other teachers, you know, who have really, I've observed working this in their life. Because we want to teach you from our life and not just from a book. Right? On how do we escape the dream that other people have for us that we have learned to dutifully fulfill. To reclaim our personal empowerment as a point of consciousness with choice. So that we can begin to freely eat from every tree of the garden and call all the animals in our life anything we choose. Amen. Amen.